Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Full Circle Music Show. Thanks for joining us. We have another great episode with an awesome guest, Tim Lauer, in the house today. Producer, songwriter, arranger, Emmy Award nominee. Credits range from Taylor Swift to the Civil Wars and Megadeth. He's going to talk to us today about an idea which I learned a lot from, and I think you will too, something he calls retreads, where he takes a lot of the ideas that never quote-unquote made it and saves them and tags them and organizes them for later use. A great reminder to never give up on an idea. But before we dive into the episode, we wanted to ask you to head over to iTunes and leave us a good rating and a good review. Those kind of things help us a ton as we're getting this podcast off the ground, helps get the word out there. Tell your friends, tell your family about it, and again, leave us a, a good rating and review on iTunes. And we wanted to start a new little segment of the show we're going to call Full Circle Music Trivia. And here's how it's going to work. We got one question every week, and you're going to have the opportunity to take home a free prize. All you're going to do is email your response to trivia at fullcirclemusic.org. And one of you guys will be lucky to take home this week... A copy of the book Hitmen, Power Brokers and Fast Money Inside the Music Business by Frederick Dannon. And the question is this, what is the top selling album of all time? Again, what is the top selling album of all time? Email your responses to trivia at fullcirclemusic.org and one of you will win a free copy of the book Hitmen. Thanks again for being here with us today and let's dive in. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. You kind of said that you just came here from a musical emergency, which we just well, said there I was, was joking no because I had heard on your <laughs> on your podcast, which I've been enjoying, that there are no such things as musical emergencies, and I totally agree. Not naming names, what is today's musical emergency? <laughs> well, today's musical emergency is I'm working on an ad that has people tweaking on it, changing the cut that you're writing, producing, post scoring. You know, you get a picture, and it's competitive. You're up against, I don't know, maybe five, maybe 50. They never tell you any of these things. Yeah. And you're looking at the picture and the plot and kind of taking a brief of what they want. And then they go through rounds of tweaking it, and then they change it, and they move this scene over two seconds earlier. And so they expect to call you. And part of the deal is if you're going to do this, you're going to be available, and you're going to change these mm. things right now. Yeah. I mean, like immediately. Yeah. And then the other thing is doing the main title for the opening of a new TV show. And cool. same thing. Yeah. You know, what about this? What about this? And so you try things and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. But out of fairness to the process and the client, you can talk about things, but it's not quite the same as actually seeing it and doing it. Sure. Why do you think it's different in that space, just needing the immediacy in terms of... It's interesting. It's completely compared to you know when I play on you know overdub for somebody and they say, "Man, I'm kind of on a tight time frame," and I'm like, "Okay, so when do you need this?" I mean, if I can get it in the next week, and to me that I almost want to laugh. Yeah, that's, that's like that's like another lifetime, you yeah. know. And the other thing, because I might get a brief and and I have to turn something in within 36 hours. Wow. You know, I got this particular ad. I got the brief. And within five or six hours, I had eight pieces of music yeah. that I presented. Gosh. And how does that even humanly work? Do you have like a team of people doing that? I had a guy with me, and I knew that they were in the later stages, meaning that they had reached out to other people 
including Mark Mothersbaugh, who's an incredible composer. And, yeah. You know, they'll reach out to Philip Glass. I mean, like yeah. big time guys. And they weren't happy. Yeah. And I know that the music they submitted was great yeah. because they're great. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, so maybe there's too much music. Maybe they want music, but not too much. So yeah. I just put up picture and, and I got out a couple new toys. I got up my Mellotron, which I'm loving. And, and I just pizzicato strings and bloop, 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 you know, yeah. or uh, upright bass or get a harmonica and just play a little bit. Yeah. You know, then I reached out to a guitar player who was two streets over and said, come by, I want to talk through this. He did ukulele, slide guitar, acoustic guitar, brought it over. We tweaked it, worked on it. Yeah. Mixed them really, really fast. I got a guy, we're jumping up and down out of the chair. I'm on the phone call, he's in the thing. And it's just, I mean, really super intense. Yeah. So do you enjoy working on those things? Absolutely love the pressure. Yeah. Love the pressure. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's completely invigorating and exciting. Yeah. I love knowing that there's a deadline at noon and it's 1140 and <laughs> I have to mix it and upload it. Well, the pace as wow. opposed to no listener left behind, because when you go into a tracking session, it's probably six hours of downtime and what, two hours of playing? I was on a really fun, rewarding tracking session yesterday. For centricity, who you had Steve Ford here, yeah, and it was a great band, and everything was so fun. I felt like I was on vacation, yeah, you know. And we did two songs, and I played multiple parts on each song. But to be able to sit down and drink a cup of coffee and talk to a guy about life, um, you know, so you probably- real luxury. And really great. Yeah. And I said my goodbyes real nice and casual. And then I like literally ran to my car and back into my door, ran to unlock it to make a deadline for something else. (laughs) (laughs) After, you know, it's like um, when you have a conversation with someone and you kind of match their pace. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where I kind of match the pace. Yeah. Well, are you saying that you need to have both in your life? Or would you rather only do those? I think, I don't know if I need to. I probably need to to be as happy and fulfilled yeah. as I am right now, yeah. which is pretty happy and pretty fulfilled yeah. work-wise, you know? I know that sometimes I'll say, I'll be writing strings and think, man, I love writing strings. I want more string work. I want to be yeah. next David Campbell. This is great. Yeah. You know, and then I, I get on the fourth one or the third day of doing it, and I think... I just want to be hanging out with my friends in the studio <laughs> talking about where we're going to eat lunch yeah. and talking about gear and being silly. Yeah. And then I get on a session and I think, this is fun, but man, I really love somebody breathing down my neck. Yeah. And I love the deadline and I love the no boundaries. I mean, for instance, the ad to go all over the map yeah. from blue slide guitar to quirky harmonica to you know i also have a system where i can go for i call my retreads all the all the rejected work i have tagged humorous acoustic drum beat organic electric cello male vocal 30 second 15 all this tagged so i can type all this stuff in so you can kind of pull it pull from it yeah and so about half of that was pulled you know and then i can trace it to a pro tool session and tweak it from there. I can tweak it from there. Yeah. And so I can even have guys, I can be on a session and say, you know, go through retreads, 
pull some stuff up, put it up against pictures, send it to me. Yeah. I go to the bathroom, put on a pair of headphones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and say, "Don't use the first three. Do something with the last two, and yeah. that kind of stuff." And I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, it's really invigorating. Yeah, you know. No, that's awesome, man. So it's fascinating to me because we have probably a less organized version of that in terms of songs and tracks. But how often do you feel like one of those quote-unquote reject songs makes its way into something else? Is it pretty yeah. common yeah and, and the reason why is i think if you're working in a commercial mm, what's the word you know there's trends yeah. right so if if it's country radio if it's christian radio if it's already advertisements if it's you know the joke songs are big so bad it's funny yeah i mean so it's trying so hard to be good that it's bad you know all those <laughs> yeah. those kind of joke songs and then there's the typical medical, you know, ukulele strum. There's the orange juice kind of commercial. There's the, yeah. the emotional Google spot. And most of those have a category of a brief, Yeah. right? So just like a pop song or, or whatever, it has an arc. It has an intro, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge. And so you could almost take, you could take a drum track from a song and go, let's write one over this. Yeah. And it's going to have the same arc that sounds familiar so, you know, I might not be able to pull up a retread and make a yeah. country song out of it, right. but I can surely say, man, this nationwide spot is just like the Verizon spot yeah. in intent and vibe. Yeah. So there's categories of need. Yeah. And it's the same way as a session player. You know, I try to assess what's their category of need. And that's how I kind of get my head together for it and also my gear together yeah. for it where there are certain people like, man, I just want cool, weird electronic treatments on. Okay. And I kind of start to think, well, I'm going to bring that, that, and that. And if they go, man, we just want sonic backdrops, but we want to do it with acoustic instruments. And then I think, okay, so I probably need to get some pump organs and accordions and toy pianos and, and you know, some string stuff, my Turkish bulbul and lap dulcimer and harmonicas. and You just named a bunch of instruments I've never even heard of. That's <laughs> <laughs> and you know and and so that you kind of or so man i just want meat and potatoes rock piano those are all categories of need mm, you yeah. know yeah it sounds like to me that your musical library in your head is huge and not just the retreads that you have on your computer but mm -hmm. the the what you have to pull from where did that come from from its earliest days from you taking piano lessons or well, whatever that is yeah to that's an interesting question and i think part of it is a product of growing up my dad was a church music guy had a choir and so they were probably doing hymns and then probably some whatever that would have been in the 70s you know modern worship stuff whatever sure. that would have been but they were also way into under crouch and the disciples so i had some of that black gospel thing and then in grade school we lived in japan and so the army base for american music it was uh, what was coming from the army base which was trying to please everybody. Yeah. If you think about Americans away from home, you got young people, you got the top brass who's going to be older, you got white people, you got black people, you got people from the South, people from the North. And so they played a real variety of stuff. And I mean, it was soul music, it was Pat Boone, it was Johnny Mathis, sure. it was Susan Marches, and then just sort of the Japanese pop music which you'd hear in the grocery store 
and then also the traditional stuff, which you would just hear because you live there. Yeah. You know. Gosh. And then um, when we moved to Wisconsin, and there was Musician Magazine in the band room all the time, and I would just, whatever they talked about, I'd try to find. You know, of course, there's no Spotify, but thankfully, we this is a town of 750 people. We had a library that had vinyl. Yeah. Gosh. And there was a library exchange where, you know, if I wanted to hear the new Steely Dan record or whatever, may not have been new then, but I could, you know, request it and yeah. they'd show up and they'd earmark it for me. And then if I wanted to hear Miles Davis sketches of Spain, you know, I could take that home and trip out on that. And, you know, yeah. and then I listened to pop radio, of course. And then I had the record and tape club and I was buying tons of Christian music. And still I do a thing where I'll just, I'll get on FM radio and I'll listen to the end of a song and then I hit scan till another song plays and I listen to the end of that and then I do the same thing and I'm thinking about why did this song get on the radio and then I'm also thinking about what's going on you know how new it is how old it is if I was hired to play in this what would I have to know what do I have to cover how's my instrument working in this scenario and then I have XM too which I'll do the same thing yeah. and the great thing in that is you have artist name mm, and yeah. the song title and then i can get my soundhound thing and then pull up and say spotify and i add to a spotify playlist what's what is soundhound well where you push the button and it'll tell you what song it is it's like shazam yeah like shazam yeah. off okay. the radio okay. and then it'll have a spotify thing and it'll say play in spotify and then it plays in spotify and i say add to my playlist and then if i really like it i can go back and dig in a little deeper that's great well, it sounds like that you're addicted to music is what it sounds like <laughs> to a degree. Well, yeah. And, you know, I wish I had more time. I'm jealous of people who have a job where they can listen to music all day. Sure. You know, like a dental assistant or a receptionist. Or, <laughs> like, listen, like listen passively. I just listen or somebody who works from home and can have music on all yeah, the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard for me to listen passively. We try to put dinner music on as a family and we last about a song and a half and everyone says, could we please turn this off? <laughs> because when we listen, we listen, you know. Yeah. You're not paying attention to... No, it's, it's really, not just in the background. It's really yeah. hard for me to have like a conversation. If there's yeah. yeah, it sounds like that you're constantly in your brain connecting dots to your musical encyclopedia or wikipedia that they're making connections the whole time so it's hard to another thing that i do is on sessions whenever and now of course you know i'm older than some younger than some but (laughs) you know i when i was uh for a long time i was always the youngest guy in the band youngest guy in the session and these guys would throw out references that i didn't know and man i would write those things down and say i never want to hear somebody say, kind of like Paint It Black, and not know what Paint It Black mm, is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I do the same thing now. If somebody references, and sometimes it's something off of pop radio that I don't know. Yeah. And I think, well, if they're referencing this, it probably should be on my radar. Yeah. And I think it's part of my job, and I'm talking mainly as a session player now, that if somebody comes in and says, hey, this song, Bruce Hornsby Piano, Oh, Spooner Oldham Rhodes. Oh, the song in the Katy Perry record. Oh, Eno Lanois Soundscape. Oh, you know, whatever that is. Stevie Wonder Bass. Oh, okay. You know, whatever that is, I feel like it's my job to authentically deliver that. You so, know? where's the balance of, or maybe for you it's not, but do you feel like, you know, for a new musician graduating from Belmont or wherever they're graduating from, they want to get into 
being a session musician, would you advise that don't just get really good at your thing, instead try to be good at a ton of different well, things? that's absolutely necessary. I mean, first of all, to just be a session player, it's okay if there's a little noise because the coffee's here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Coffee, <laughs> coffee is here. That's, that's an important part of every session and every podcast. <laughs> but in order to do sessions, you got to remember that I'm going to say it again. It's a service industry. Yeah. It is not me coming in and telling people, this is what I do. Let me be me. Yeah. You know, I'm coming in and saying, you got a need, right? You have a certain amount of time. So I need to be able to work quickly. And you have a vision that I'm here to help satisfy. Mm, yeah. And you have a budget, which means me being fast saves you money. Yeah. <laughs> and me being good helps your vision. And me being a good listener helps all of that. And I mean listening to music and also listening to what they're saying and trying to figure out if what they're saying is really what they mean. Because <laughs> yeah. most of the time it's not. Reading between the lines. It's, yeah, it's and and getting yeah. to without shaming or even commenting or going like, oh, that's not what you said five minutes ago. Right, yeah. You know, just kind of going, I can tell by their body language that they're not sold on this. Right. Yeah. Or if they say, yeah, we, we can work with that. Yeah. Then I say, you know what? I want you to be really happy. Yeah. What can we do right now? Yeah. And, you know, I feel like it's not un unlike somebody that comes over to build somebody's deck. What yeah. do you want? Hmm. Well, this is what I want. This is how big I want it to be. This is how I want the rail to look. This is the kind of wood. This is how I want to treat it. And I can say, you know, based on my experience doing this, you might want to consider this. Yeah. And that they might say, oh, wow, thanks. I never thought of that. Appreciate that idea. Or they might say, nah, I still want to do it the other way. Yeah. And what do I do? I go, you got it. You got it, man, is, yeah. the, is your friend. That sentence, yeah. you got it, man. Yeah, yeah. That is your friend. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes somebody says, I have no idea what kind of deck I have, and I have no budget. I just want it to be amazing. Yeah. Now, that's once every five years, and then you get right. to build yeah. the dream deck. Sure. But most of the time, somebody says, my parents are coming to visit in two weeks. I want to sit outside and cook hamburgers, and this is the <laughs> kind of deck I want, and I got X amount of dollars. Yeah. And that's what doing sessions is like. Yeah. And you're called in because you can get them there, and then you're out of there, and they are moving on. No, that's good. Yeah, it's often exploration because a lot of the time, the producer, me you know, being one of those don't necessarily know what you're going for. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a lot of time, just a bit of an exploration and you're mining for something. And I, I like working within formats and that's sort of where my earlier question was, was headed. You want to be a, a country session guitar player. Should you dive in and get really good well, at that? Sure. But if you want to be a country session guitar player, you probably should also have another job <laughs> because there are not yeah. very many people in the world yeah, in the world that make a living just playing country sessions yeah. on the guitar. Hmm. What, four, five, six? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, for me, if I only had to rely on sessions, it'd be a panic moment for the family. We'd yeah. have to change some things. Yeah. If I only had to rely on producing or on songwriting, or string arranging. 
if I only had to rely on one genre of sessions. So I would say if you want to be a session guitar player, you better be able to play country. Yeah. You be, better be able to play some fake jazz, I call it. Yeah. Just just passable because eventually you're going to play on a Christmas record. You're, right. and you're going to have to play. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, you may need to learn the basic. Each instrument has sort of basic eras yeah. and vibes. You know, is that just a function of where the music business is now? I mean, where is the art of handing something off to somebody who's a master craftsman and he is so good at well, that thing. I, I know what you're asking, and but that comes down to casting. Yeah, There are things that I can cover. Yeah, And then there are times when I can honestly say, man, I think I'm just the guy for this job. Yeah, And I really feel like everything is humming and they made the right call and I'm making them happy. And I honestly, not... Not in a sort of conceited way, but just a good casting way. Like, yeah. I honestly believe I'm the best guy. Yeah. Personality, pace, awareness, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are times when I go, you know what? I can name you four or five guys who could just slay this. Like what you're looking for. What you're looking for, yeah. I'm not the best. But yeah. maybe that's only one song or one part of one song. And there's other reasons that I'm there. Yeah. Then it's really good for me to be able to at least cover it yeah some producers you know say these are my guys this is my band so as the music changes you have to adjust yeah you know some producers say man i'm gonna have four different bass players on this record because there's a different kind of tone and approach and right. feel and so i'm gonna cast it this that song way. needs that guy yeah. they're both valid one creates a team and a community and camaraderie and a method familiarity the other one brings in those specialists just for those things. I like both. And I believe that, well, I won't speak for other people. I think for me, there are people who think of me as one thing. There's very few people who think, man, if I go to Tim, I can get all kinds of different things. Somebody says, man, when I want somebody to play singer, songwriter, piano, I'm going to call Tim to play like he wrote it. Not sessiony. Mm. Somebody's going to say, when I want just that simple organic to go over Americana music, he's my guy. Yeah. And that's all they're calling for. Somebody else says, man, if I want Tom Petty harmonica, I'm going to call Tim Lauer. Mm. Somebody, somebody else is saying, uh, you know, if you want crazy, weird strings, man, he can go out there. Yeah. And somebody else says, if you want just beautiful, simple pads, call that guy. Yeah. And so... I think that what happens to us as the work for hire guys is somebody connects with something we do where they go, that's my guy for that. Yeah. And I think you want to be the kind of person to maintain a long career where somebody will wait. It's always a compliment if somebody says, man, okay, if you can't do it for two weeks, I guess I'm going to have to wait because it's got to be you. I can't think of anybody else. Sure. Right. And then you think, okay, so I've filled a niche. They might be wrong. There might be somebody else, but at least in their mind, they feel like it's got to be you. Right. And that's got to be a great feeling to get to that point. Because again, what I'm gathering, hearing some of your past and what you've done in in your career, there's so much of it that there's a deep well to draw from. And because of that, you can be that harmonica guy for that one guy or that guy that's looking for that particular part of just something very easy and laid back on the keyboard that... 
to become that needed for multiple different reasons, that takes dedication to your craft. And that takes years of honing that. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, like you later, earlier, you said something about being addicted to music <laughs> or honing the dedication. And I think because I enjoy it so much, it's never felt like that. Sure. You know, like I don't feel addicted to music like I'm going to go crazy if I can't, you know. Yeah. But there are times when I think I got to hear that song just because I love it and it's useful to me as a human. Yeah. emotionally or whatever and as far as you know the dedication to the craft i think i've learned by doing mm -hmm. i can honestly say i've never been a practicer and i regret that in ways but i've always listened more than practiced does that make sense like yeah. i honestly am not a super technical chopsy kind of guy I, i'm just not something that's terrifying to me would be to sit down and play me something. Family reunion. Here's a piano. Tim, would you play something? Right, right. That is my worst nightmare. Yeah. I know a total of zero songs off the top of my head. Yeah. I do not do show-off play kind of stuff at all. I don't love taking solos. Yeah. You know, it's very supportive. And it's more as an arranger than as a player. I th yeah. I'm thinking as an arranger more than a player, and I'm thinking about all the music that I've heard that I appreciate and love, and I'm being a character actor. I'm not coming in and saying, hey, this is me. This is how I always am. Yeah. Am I a good fit for you? You know, I'm not the movie star. Yeah. That's the chopsy guy that has a certain thing, and everybody knows about it, and he gets on the cover of the magazine. Yeah. I'm the guy who, like, oh, yeah, that was the guy. He was the bad guy in that movie. <laughs> but he was the dad in the other thing. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. he was, you know, that's me, you know, that can play on a Megadeth record and a Wii game and a KFC ad, <laughs> you know. And Are those all three real examples? In the same day, yeah. Gosh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean like, there are days, like, that's literally, yeah. I'm going from playing an accordion on a folk record to playing, you know, a simple organ part on a country record yeah. to referencing something on pop radio and coming up with some sounds on a CCM thing. Yeah. And then later that night, I'm trying to, to sound like a recording of a mandolin from 1940 off a piece of vinyl. Yeah. That's a Gosh. wide variety. <laughs> or, I'm, or, I'm, or I'm playing Wii and we're doing Love Shack and I have to learn the organ part exactly in two listens through and then go execute it and then next. Yeah, yeah. You know. From my vantage point coming in, I mean, you, you were one of the first guys when I came to town and just experienced watching session musicians, how they do what they do. And the biggest thing that I know is not only just the talent and the hang, but is the speed. You just got to be able to listen and push record and go from top to bottom. And, I, and if some people are wired differently, you know, if you're the kind of guy who doesn't like people watching you work, sessions are probably not for you. Mm. If you're the kind of guy who doesn't like people getting into your tone and messing with your vibe, session work is not for you. Yeah. If you're the kind of guy that's like, I'd like to just take this home and, and just work on this a little bit. Or can you guys just give me a few minutes? Session work is not for you. I love the pressure again. I love to don't even play me the song. Play me the intro and give me a chart. Yeah. And in my mind, you know what my mind is doing? 
competition. I want to freaking blow their minds right now. <laughs> it's game. It is game on. Yeah. I want to play something. I'm not trying to find a part. My ears are so open. Yeah. And, and my concentration is so intense for those three and a half minutes. And my whole goal is when that stops, I want you to say, dang, yeah. holy cow. <laughs> I don't know how we'd make that better. Yeah. Are you okay with it? I go, yep. Yeah. Next song. <laughs> I mean, that that's my thought process. Again, it's that pressure, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening out there who that, what you mentioned, that completely isn't them. I don't know that it's a right or a wrong thing. I think it's just there are a lot of people who function in a way of let's take this back and I'll work on this one thing for a week. And yeah. There's a niche for that. And, you know, like for me, playing live holds no interest. You, you don't enjoy it? Oh, man. Why doing a tour and you play the same? I don't want to play any song more than four times ever in my life. But that's how you got into it, right? Was that's it, how I got into it, yeah. And did you like it back then? Um, I liked that I had it as a job. And I learned so much because you'd, my first gigs were, here's five songs. You just get the record. Yeah. It's Tuesday. You're going to do an audition on Thursday. Learn the keyboard part just like the record. You know, and again the competition part of me was like, if they said just like the record, by God it's gonna be just like the record. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I would come in really determined, chilled out, but determined, you yeah. know, and believing that, man, I got this. I'm your guy. Yeah. And, you know, so I got yeah. I got work early, you know, as a young young guy. Was the first tour Trisha Yearwood? The first tour I was in well, I toured between my junior and senior year of high school in a show band. Okay. No, wow. no, that that was right after high school. The first thing I spent a summer with the Reach Out Singers, which was like a eight singers and piano player thing doing churches. Yeah. Lutheran churches across the country and then yeah. and then we went overseas for a little bit. But that was the same song. But that was fun. And then right out of high school, like a day or two after high school. I toured with a show band, and we would do like a Broadway medley. This is like doing a Texas Instruments convention. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like Chicago Sanitation Department Workers Appreciation Night. <laughs> this is like I'm not I'm not kidding. You know, in in a in a ballroom in a hotel room in Chicago. Or something. Yeah, and uh, living the dream. Living the dream, and we yeah. had I think I got it, it was the the pay was ridiculous. I think it was 150 a week. Wow, and we got per diem, which is your daily money. And I think yeah, we yeah. got we might have got ten or fifteen bucks a day. Wow, for for you know fast food. Yeah, but then we would do these banquets and stuff, and dinner was always off the chart. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. But I wore white Capizio dance shoes, white. What's the material you don't have to iron? You know, it's like yeah. polyester, polyester or white polyester <laughs> pants, a red poofy kind of pirate shirt, and a sequin silver vest. That is, I want to see pictures. And they, they, <laughs> the singers would also dance. We had a trumpet. I think we had two horns, and so we would do like a country medley. And we would do. They would come out, you know, wearing a Willie Nelson wig. Maybe I didn't want, <laughs> you know. And then Dolly Parton, nine to five. And then we do Broadway. We do the pop. So I, I was learning all these tunes, you know. And do you uh, have a picture of that somewhere? Somewhere. Could you find it and send it to me? <laughs> <laughs> if you promise, promise not to post it on the 
Well, I was just going to say, if you want to see no, a picture of, of, of Tim Lauer wearing sequins, email Tim Lauer <laughs> at fullcirclemusic.org. Hey, I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't care. It was fun. But it was one of those things where you're willing. I knew it was goofy, and I was loving it. And I knew that they were making tons of money off of me, and I didn't care. It was yeah. a blast. Yeah. My first touring thing, I was a senior in college, and I played with the group that was an NTM, Mary Tyler Moore, MTM Records, yeah. called The Girls Next Door, yeah. four-girl group. Yeah. And so I would miss some classes, but we'd go out like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Trisha Yearwood was the receptionist at MTM Records. Gosh. Wow. Answering phones. Yeah. And her husband at the time was the concert master for the Belmont Orchestra. Yeah. And I was the timpani player. And we were all friends and hanging out. And he said, hey, we're, you know, Trisha's going to start playing some fairs and some rodeos. And so we would do like Linda Ronstadt covers and Eagles covers and. Wow. Pat Benatar and stuff like that. That's amazing. And then she got a record deal and said, hey, do you want to be in my band? I'm opening for Garth Brooks, who was doing stadiums. I mean, it was huge. The biggest two were going. Gosh, yeah. And we had 20 or 25 minutes, just a few songs. And I went down to Sound Emporium and met with her producer, Garth Fundus. And uh, I don't even know if I played. But he said, Trisha thinks you can handle this. Can you handle this? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to play you a couple songs. Can you learn these piano parts? It was Matt Rawlings, you know, who's like probably the best piano player alive today. Yeah. And some of them were challenging, you know. And again, the pressure. In my mind, I thought, I can't play that. Yeah. And I said, oh, sure, no problem. (laughs) Fake it till you make it. Yeah. And then I just said, well, I better... And I think I was already touring. I was touring with the Forrester Sisters. And I think we were doing a couple of weeks in Vegas. So I had all day long to practice. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Our gear was set up in one of these theaters, you know. So I would just spend all day just trying to figure out these Matt Rawlings parts, which was a really great education. Man, so you're not one of those guys that... I mean, I think there is something that separates people like you who have lasting careers in music doing what you're doing. And it's a work ethic thing because if you're an artist and you're touring, most of the day you're just messing around. Yeah, Yeah, I've always said, I'll come play the show for free. Yeah. But at this point in my life, you better pay me a lot of money for the other 23 hours. Right. (laughs) You know, sure. Because, you know, to me, as I get older and I love music, that's not enough music making for me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. An hour and a half show? Are you kidding me? That's not enough music for me. Yeah. So if I was out now, you better know I'd have a laptop rig. Yeah. I would be practicing guitar, you know? I would be learning the OP1. Yeah. I would be diving in. I'd have Logic going with the little controller. Yeah. And I would be working on a film score. I would, you know, I would be doing something because I'll tell you what I would not be doing, everybody that's has got a gig, I would not be staying up to four in the morning watching ridiculous movies yeah. and then sleeping all day. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know? Which is good advice for anybody listening. I think that can tend to happen, and that's what separates the boys from the men (laughs) in the long run, I think. Well, I I feel like I'm sitting in a room with two guys that have the careers to back it up. The fact that downtime is spent judiciously and not staying up to 4 a.m. watching whatever's on Netflix. And then by the time you have a family, you know, like, and I love watching Netflix shows, but I don't get to do it that much because. You know, I'm thinking, okay, I got a couple busy days. I got to figure out, I'm going to come home for this window of time, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be 
present. Right. And then I might have to go back and work some more or do email stuff later. Right now I'm trying to figure out how I can get more exercise in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing very well at that. Yeah. But I know it's important. But I cannot believe the amount of time that I've seen people waste. Sure. Um, and guys, you know, they don't have sessions. And if you don't have a session, like write a song. Yeah. Write a song. Start a band. Good Lord, figure something out. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. get so good that people can't help but hire you. Yeah. yeah. You know, do your research. You research your competition. Yeah. I mean, I do that all the time. What are all the music houses? Who's, who am I up against? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think sometimes when I'm in that downtime and I'm tired and I want to veg out and do whatever, I think, okay, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm thinking back on this, am I going to be really glad that I watched this Netflix series or am I going to be glad that well, I And you may, you may, but if it's mindful, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. You think of the term recreation. What does that mean? Recreate. Mm. Mm. So yeah. downtime does not necessarily mean wasted time. Mm-hmm. But if the downtime is quiet time, maybe that's really, really important. Sure, sure, sure. If you are so interested and invested in this Netflix series <laughs> drama that it's bringing all kinds of exciting things to your brain that's going to affect your lyric writing and your passion for people yeah. and for making music, then that's not a waste of time. Mm. You know? Gosh. Well, man. Was- we could sit here all day, but I want to. I know you've got to go get on a Megadeth session and a KFC <laughs> session and a, and a boys club session. But uh, thanks so much for your time. What's the boys club session? I don't know, but I want to be a part of it. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean hanging out with the guys? <laughs> oh, I this like is that. a new band I should be aware of. Well, well, we're, that, we're creating true. that band oh, right okay. now. Oh, good. It's us. Just started. All right. I want to play bass. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us. Man, thanks do, for Do you me. have, I mean, is there a place where people can check you out? You got a website or anything? Yeah, um, I think it's just Tim Lauer Music. Maybe if you, if you, I think if you Google Tim Lauer Music, it'll come up. Google Tim Lauer Music and go to allmusic.com, look up Tim Lauer, T-I-M-L-A-U-E-R, and his credits list is pretty astounding. So. Yeah, in the old days, it would just be a scroll. It would continue to yeah, roll yeah. out. You know, I'm so old that I have credits in four decades. I have major label credits in the 80s. I'm only, this doesn't seem mathematically possible. I'm 47, but but I have credits in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010. Unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That's that's a tagline. Makes me feel pretty old. (laughs) No, that's just wisdom. That's not old. Yeah. Hey, can we talk more and you edit the good stuff? Yeah, sure. Because, you know, I want to say that some people, you know, like even the fact that I'm invited here, whatever people have said things. I'm I'm thinking as I put this together. People have asked me about my successful career. I put it in quotes, and I just have to say that it's really hard for me to f- consider myself successful. Mm. Like most of the time, I feel like a junior high kid trying to get something going. Mm. Wow! And to be honest. You know, most, and I'm working through this, and, and I can tell you about some specific life-changing moments, but where I feel like I'm a complete failure. Mm. And part of it is because I had in my head, as a 15, 16-year-old kid, what it was going to look like, which was by the time I was my age, I would have eight Grammys in my mantle, and I'd be retired. 
skiing in Colorado. And the reality is I have three kids and I need to work. I love to work, but I need to work. Hmm. And because I really struggled with, I never wanted to be just a session player. I always considered myself a producer. Yeah. And I got hired over and over and over and over again for decades as a session player. And I began to think of that as my day job, Hmm. that I was waiting tables. And I had a hard time enjoying it. I had a hard time being grateful for it because I felt like this is my settling gig Mm. while I work towards my goal. And because I haven't reached my goal of being Mr. Producer Man, I am a failure. Wow. And so I also know now why the producing thing didn't happen. And there's two reasons. One is lack of focus. You know, in order to be one thing, you can't be the other. Yeah. And I didn't make that commitment. Mm. I, was, I was either too afraid or probably enjoyed the sessions way more than I thought I did <laughs> and had yeah. it wrapped into my identity. The other thing is that I hadn't reached a level of maturity to understand what producing meant. It wasn't just getting a good track. And so for a lot of years, I felt like, man, I'm a better producer than that guy. But what I didn't realize was his skill in communicating with the A&R guy, mm. his skill in understanding the artist's vision, his skill in meeting the deadline, yeah. his skill in casting other musicians, his skill in knowing when to stop, when enough was enough, right. of not making ab- about him. Yeah. And I feel like I'm at that spot, and now that's starting to really open up. In yeah. some really fun and exciting ways, yeah. but I'm, I can see that now, and I'm kind of embarrassed to myself that, like, man, I don't think I was ready five years ago, but I don't think I was ready five years. Sure, ago. yeah. <laughs> and so the exciting thing now is, and I've had a couple of moments where I was in some pretty rarefied air with musicians yeah. and artists. Like, it was when I went. <laughs> It's like, looked at the dressing room at the Americana Awards, and the band was, Don was, hmm. Buddy Miller, Rye Cooter, Brady Blade, and Tim Lauer. Gosh. Wow. And, and I thought, wow, what an imposter yeah. I am. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then to see all these musicians, and Kev Moe, hey, Tim, give me a hug. Amy Lou, hey, haven't seen you since Vince's house. Oh, Vince Gill? Rodney Crowell, boom. And all, you know, these people, like, they're my friends. They're yeah. truly people that I know and know me. Yeah. And Ricky Skaggs and Buck White and people, that, you know what I mean? And then I'm playing Fountain of Sorrow with Jackson Brown. He's looking me in the eyes, you know. Gosh. And playing with Taj Mahal, you know. And that kind of stuff for me to look around and go, I'm not a failure. Mm. You know, it's mm. just this didn't turn out like I expected. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then to think, you know what? I did okay. Yeah, I did okay tonight. I yeah. covered it. I mean, like not just okay. Like I brought it. Yeah, I think I was the right guy for this. And that was a moment to me where I said, I made on stage, made peace. Yeah, and with where things had landed. Sure. And I was able to just go. You know what? This is really, really great. Yeah. 
this is yeah. really awesome. And then to go back and look at the credits and the stuff I played on. And, you know, so much of it is like little three-hour chunks or one-hour chunks or three-day chunks. And it doesn't feel super, you know, you think Taylor Swift or whatever. And you go in and out and boom and boom. But you step back and you go, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know, or you look at some things that maybe you were really busy or didn't at the time seemed a little chaotic or maybe is it music that you'd buy or choose to listen to but you can step back and go i've made a contribution to pop culture yeah that's pretty that's pretty uh satisfying yeah to know that at brugger's bagels in 20 or 30 years it's like hey there's that song. Grandpa's playing on this yeah. song. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure. And so that's been helpful. And then at the same time, here I am at 47 years old, wide-eyed, feeling like I'm starting a whole new career yeah. in this advertising, film and TV, putting together a company, hiring some guys, you know, maybe signing a writer and going, yeah. Wow. I feel like I'm just getting started and I have so much to learn. Yeah. And then to be around guys, I was working for John Oates the other day who I've produced and written with and, and yeah. love him. And he was producing a very, very cool young band. John Oates is 68 years old. Yeah. And he was so relevant, wow. so helpful, so musical, so pro, so vital, mm. so interesting, so interested. Yeah that I thought he's got at least 20 years in him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. And to work for, you know, Buddy Miller or work for T-Bone Burnett and go, man, these guys are in the top of their game. Yeah. And I'm okay. I'm, I'm not the old guy. Yeah. I'm not the young guy. But it's going to be okay. I got, man, I got so many more. I truly believe that the best stuff is ahead of me. Yeah. And I'm not in that mode of, desperately hanging on trying to compete with the new young crew sure i don't feel threatened by them i'm curious like i either want to be the oldest guy on a session or the youngest guy yeah because if i'm the oldest guy those guys included me and it feels like an honor for all the 20 somethings to feel like i can hang and offer something important and they have a perspective that i want to know about yeah like i'm really interested and where they're coming from. I'm asking questions. If I'm the youngest guy in the session, boy, same thing. Man, I'm the kid, and they thought I could hang with them. <laughs> yeah. And, boy, what a wealth of information and experience yeah. and settled-in maturity, mature reserve. You know, wow. And don't you know I'm asking questions, and I'm hanging, and I'm soaking mm-hmm. that up. Wow. That's brilliant. Well, I think there's a lot Gosh. of gold in there. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys listen and didn't get something out of it, then I know at least I did. So, <laughs> just the you kind of said it there at the end with your curiosity, but it, what was spinning around in my head as you were speaking in the last few minutes was just your hunger to absorb it all and to take it in. It just it doesn't look like it's been quenched, and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime no, soon. No, it's it, and you know the thing is, I think the hunger of the sponge kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us can learn by just by osmosis, just by, by marinating in it. Yeah. You know, so like when people ask me like real specific questions, like, how do you do this? Or what's that lick? I'll show you, but just 
listen to it. Yeah. Soak it up. I was backstage, and Valerie June, who's a great sort of bluesy guitar player, American artist, she's really cool. You should check her out. And Taj Mahal was back there, and he had his guitar. And if you guys don't know who Taj Mahal is, you should check him out. And she was saying, show me something. Show me this. And he says, I can show you this, but girl, all of that music you're hearing in your head, all of it lives in your two hands and on that neck of the guitar. You just got to dig around and start finding it. Oh, wow. And what he was saying to her was, I'm not going to feed you my licks. Yeah. You listen to what is in your head. You pick up your instrument. You pick up your mouse. You twiddle your knobs. You pick up your laptop. And you just start digging until what was in your head matches what's coming out of the speakers. Uh, It's really that simple. You've had great mix engineers in there. You can learn a lot from these guys. You know, who cares how they compress the vocal? How does it sound coming out of the speakers? Come mm-hmm. up with your own thing. Yeah. Just keep working until it sounds like you want it to sound. Mm. Gosh. What a way to wrap it up, man. That was yeah. That's beautifully said. Man. That's beautifully said. Well, thank you so your, much. Thanks for your honesty and vulnerability, man. Man, it's been great to be here. This is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show. Check us out at fullcirclemusic.org slash podcast and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Produced by the Full Circle Music Company. Editing help thanks to Kaylee Ingram.